5-4-3-2-1. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. So let's get over to the news. And right off the bat, we're going to go bring, we're going to loop around to something we talked about yesterday. Okay, let's see how it goes. What is a man? Is a man brave? Men account for 93% of workplace deaths. And account for 97% of war fatalities. Is a man. Is a man a protector? 79% of all homicide victims. victims. Is a man. Half of fathers without visitation rights still financially support their children. Is a man. Disposable. 80% of all suicide victims. Is a man. 75 of single homeless people are, are men. Is a man trying? We keep trying, don't we? We see the good in men. Okay, so anyway, I speeded it up a little because it was a little long. That was a response to the Gillette Men of the Future, which basically uh, we touched on yesterday because of Ritson or something, um, where uh, you know where Gillette decided to <laughs> to dox us all or something, <laughs> call us out on, on what a terrible job we do. Um, but um, I don't know if Eggard's you know they're private, privately held, so I don't know if their if their sales went up or not after that. But um, Ask Dabich uh, did a did a piece on them when they came out with it, and she agreed uh, that uh, or she asked back in 2019, is advertising to men while being anti-men in general a wise strategy? And she agreed that that seemed a little odd. Oops, let me turn on the PDFs. Um, and, um, what about watches? Are we trying to sell watches? (laughs) And maybe we're just selling opinions at this point. You know, you line up with the watch company that you like best. It's not all puppies and sunshine though, for men, uh, as the ad points out. And so she, um, so, you know, I was trying to get to the bottom of this. I, I ran across this article, uh, from Jason, uh, Pisaki, I think it is. Uh, it's hard to read LinkedIn. Whenever something is clickable, they reverse it, and you know these things just PDF in a horrible way. LinkedIn, that's a, a note to you. Um, but the question was, what can modern marketers learn from the Gillette business model? And I thought it was maybe going to be about the, uh, it was maybe going to be about the uh, the commercial in 2019 that took out sales. Uh, I had read that sales in the grooming division went down as much as uh, eight or nine billion dollars um, but no he was actually talking about going to try to buy a blade and uh, there were razors with three blades now five blades I noticed Gillette came out with a, a product that exfoliates while it while it shaves and I also found out that in 1972 or something they had the the uh, 
now I can't remember it. The one you spin it around to get a new blade. It has a, 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 a basically a ribbon of blades. I remember I used that for a while. And then the Track 2 came out uh, in about 75 or something, um, which I've been stuck on ever since because uh, when they started letting it tip on its own to follow the contours of my face, I lost control and decided I only liked the, I like to be in full control of a razor blade, which I think is appropriate. Uh, anyway, so I have a lifetime supply now of track two. But 80, 750 million men use razor, Gillette razors every day. And um, the idea is that King Gillette, that's the founder of Gillette razor, razor blades and razors, is that he came up with, you know, in 1900, you get a shave with a razor, a, a, a permanent blade and a strop. You, you sharpen it and... Apparently get it very sharp, but um, then Gillette came up with the disposable blade and the safety razor. And uh, the idea was to sell as many razors, give as good a deal as you could. Uh, and when the Track 2 came out, I do remember getting free a free pack of, uh, of the razor and the blades in the mail to try. And I stuck with it, so it obviously worked. It was a mail order campaign of sampling but the idea was to have to sell as many razors as possible in order to generate an increasing stream of recurring revenue from the blade okay and of course we see that with I suppose an Amazon Prime campaign or a Netflix subscription you know it's basically a subscription model maybe you could consider the vaccination program a subscription model since it seems it requires boosters every few months We'll see, all right? But if so, very wise strategy, right? Uh, get the first one sold and then and then require boosters. You know, I'm not saying anything about efficacy. We're just making a note there. Um, so the so what what uh, Jason says is that the marketing campaign is like getting the razor out there. And that the tactics are like getting the blades out there. Okay. And the first principle is not one and done. We want a repeat strategy. We want something that's addictive if possible. Uh, second, they reg are regularly revisited. So we keep track of our, of our numbers. We keep track of our lifetime value. That would be a good way to think of it, though he doesn't mention that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't and I've noticed that the frequency of new razors coming out. The first safety razor came out about 1900. The second came about 1920. The third was about 1957. That's 37 years before a major product innovation. Probably smart. And then it was about eight years, and then it was about 20 years, according to Gillette's. Uh, history on their about page um, but lately they've been trying to come out with more and more and more um, so what good are blades without a razor after all you need marketing campaigns that have some perpetuity okay so I was trying to track down the the, the sales you know what's the story uh, Gillette poked men in the eye uh, that commercial I showed was a response to it. Um, and did it matter? Well, the sales for third quarter were announced today 
actually, and the grooming division was up several percent. Uh, it wasn't up as high as beauty, but it was up a little bit, and so they took that as a you know bounce back. But what was interesting was that the sales of grooming was up something like 5% in the U.S., but it was up 22% in China. So my thinking is that P&G's attempt at, at I don't know, anti-advertising, <laughs> anti-men to men, according to Ask, uh, was not so successful, but maybe they didn't run the ad in China. My guess is they didn't. So, you know, do your opinions local and sell global <laughs> to parody a, a well-known social action phrase. P&G also scaled back targeted Facebook ads and it was really a much more interesting article than I expected. They basically said we targeted too much and went too narrow. So they were trying to, as an example, they did Febreze to pet owners, okay, and sales didn't go anywhere. So then they shifted its, then they shifted its uh, focus to just anyone over 18. <laughs> There's targeting for you, you know, and got the sales went up. So don't think you need to be so targeted. This and which brings us to the next, <laughs> the next article. I've been wanting to get to this Todd Wasserman. Because we mentioned hyper-personalization, I think, last Friday. And I said, well, what is now hyper-personalization? So Todd mentions that uh, Amazon is showing products on there when you log in. Uh, and DNA tests, DVDs of the Godfather, and scented candles. He says, hmm, my daughter must have bought something on my account. Or they just thought you were after... The Godfather, a scented t candle person. Who knows, right? But um, <coughs> while he likes the idea of personalization, suggestions for you, although Amazon for years just said people who bought this, people who bought this also bought on the item pages. And I love the humility in that. They didn't say that they could suggest things. Um but he says, suggestions would be helpful, but only if I'm in the right mood, which is the big problem with personalization, as Procter & Gamble found out. When you, when you decide to say to people, when you decide that only certain people are your market, and you're only going to target them immediately when they're doing a search, and they may have already bought it anyway, right? Or a lot of other, or maybe they weren't shopping for it in the first place. Maybe they were, like me, given an assignment by my spouse. Uh, and I'm never going to buy it. <laughs> Send her back the results or something. Um, the, when you narrow your focus too tightly, you will lose sales. Now, that may be efficient, may not. I remember a Land's End, it's in my book, a time when Land's End decided that they could they, that since they were so good at segmenting, uh, they could cut back their CERC 20%. Actually, they cut back their, their CERC 19%, and sales went down 20%, which means they would have been better off with a random sub-select. But, you know, in general, they've got good products. It's the Land's End turtleneck. It's not a fleece, though. I bought a fleece somewhere else because they didn't have purple. Maybe they should personalize that. Anyway, so... What 
what Todd tries to say is that maybe some days he's in the mood for personalization and some days not, which brings up the ex- extremely obvious pers- uh, uh, issue with personalization that you don't know what I want, you don't know when I'm looking for it, and that's the truth. Okay, Summer makes some great points. Top five direct mail format issues. Summer Gould. The USPS has strict regulations on direct mail. Now, so does digital. I mean, you can only do, you know, certain things, and they just won't take them anymore. You know, they just don't. They they give you a template, and you can drop it in there, and if it doesn't fit, they will tell you no. Um, So it's not just the USPS. But they may rule that your mailing is not eligible to mail at all. So you always want to, what we used to do with catalogs is we used to do a mock-up. The printer would do a mock-up. But the first time I printed with R.R. Donnelly, uh, they didn't do a mock-up. And we had about a 56-page catalog, and we had a little thicker paper. And when we got it to, you know, it got delivered to the post office, uh, it didn't, it was just over the next postal threshold to pay more for the, the mailing. And so uh, I got in hot water. This was like my first year in, in direct mail consulting. I got in hot water because I hadn't asked for a, uh, I hadn't asked for a mock-up. Although, or it might have been that the order form just pushed it over or something. But uh, I didn't know to, <laughs> I didn't know to ask for a mock-up. So what can you do? I have that. I think that catalog is up on the. Yep, that catalog is up on my shelf. That very first one. It was also kind of a beige color that the designer liked, which is not a good color for for offset printing, because any adjustment you make to the presses and the and the beige goes. It's kind of like flesh tone, really difficult. Anyway, so here's a couple of issues, five issues to keep an eye on. One is aspect ratio. Postcards, booklets, and other letter size mail must meet the aspect ratio requirements. Thickness. You will, If your stock is too thin, you'll pay extra fees. Address placement. Oh, brother. And uh, he's, Summer says it's best bet to, take your, to do a PDF of your mail piece to determine where your panels needs to go before you 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 print. And remember it was so funny because magazine printers don't, you know, never like to leave a space on their beautiful cover that they had. When we when we did Cheshire and glued it on there it didn't matter, but when you do inkjet it doesn't matter, okay? Um size. A, this is really funny. A postcard that mails at postcard rates is smaller than one that mails at letter rates. Okay, so sometimes I get a, a an eight and a half by eleven that looks like a postcard. That must be going at letter rates because I think I think six by nine is the maximum uh, you can go with a postcard. Weights, like I just said on that thing, you better be careful with weights, and it varies by class of mail and type of mail. Uh, and then she had a big explanation. She does a lot of work with nonprofits, and so she said you got to be careful on your raffle tickets. If you mail somebody a raffle ticket and ask for a donation, you have to make it clear that no donation is required to enter, and some other stuff. So it's worth reading this. Thank you always from uh, from Summer. Have your mail service provider evaluate your design before you print. Always a good idea, right? Have somebody looking at it. I've had 
I've had not my own clients, but friend, a friend <laughs> once delivered, I don't know how many it would have been, hundreds of thousands of catalogs to USPS with, with a zip code but no street address. Yeah, and nobody at the printer looked at it, and nobody at the data processor looked at it. And it actually, because the zip code was on it, it got delivered to the postal, the, to the individual post office. But it couldn't get down to the household. Anyway, so a lot of issues, and uh, that's not my specialty. Um, but, you know, I can tell you some people who know where to go. So if you have questions, have a give me a call. That's one of the main benefits of joining the WDMA is that you get access to my pretty large network of really solid professionals in direct mail. Have a great day. Like and share. We got our thousandth YouTube video up. Uh, have a great day.